today is November 20th. Welcome back to the weekly Circle City News podcast. I am your co-host, Madison, and I'd like to introduce our new co-host, Kristen Jacobs. Kristen, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Hi, today we also have another guest, our second guest for the show. Sam, welcome. Hi, how are you guys doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing today? Pretty good. I'm glad it's not raining. <laughs> yeah, so our local Indiana weather, what are we looking at today? It's about 40s today? It's a high of uh, 49 and a low of 37, partly cloudy. Oh, wow. Little chilly, a little bit chillier than Florida here, but um, glad we're doing well, and I hope we have a, a great weekend ahead of us. I'd like to shout out our sponsor real quick, the Law Office of Mark Nicholson, fighting against the travesty of justice. If you're in the market for any law advice or legal administration, please feel free to check out the Law Office of Mark Nicholson, local to Indiana. Today, we're going to start off with some current local Indiana news. We have Mayor Joe Hogsett initiating $25 million to the Circle City Initiative, of which will reconstruct up to 90 miles of neighborhood roads and streets. Chris, I know you did some other research on that. What else did you find? They're hoping to hit a lot of city trails and the greenway system and also pave among that some roads. But what they're really, the DPW's kind of hope is that Biden's, you know, his over trillion dollar infrastructure plan, that they can kind of have a good start with this 25 mil and then they can come with the federal or state funding and fix uh, the rest because it will only cover about, I think it was 5% of the city's um, infrastructure needs. So it's, there's a lot, this is a great uh, start, but there's still a lot to be done. Definitely looking forward to the work and the glow up of Indiana. This is going to be great. Another local news event, we've done our Honor of Silence event for the service members, thanking our military, thank you for your service. But it took sort of a dark side when we took a little bit of a look back in time, looking at the racism in America and the service. We got a couple quotes and some information of which will be tagged on the bottom of the podcast where you can check out the article. So a couple tidbits about that. In World War I, there were less than 4,000 Black service members. And up to World War II, there were over a million service members. However, there had been no adjustments in um, the system or the structure. So a lot of the Black service members still did not have the opportunity to fulfill leadership positions. And we got a quote from a person currently in the Air Force. And she said, there are three examples of unofficial punitive measures commonly used against Black service members who complain. Withheld information important to success, uh, being assigned more tasks away from primary responsibilities and sleep deprivation. These instances assume a large disparity in leadership in the military, roughly 20% of active duty service members and less than 5% of four-star generals are black. So definitely still an issue in the service today and with people with power, of which I would say spread the love and don't step on the backs of the people that have brought this country to where it is today. So that's my tidbit there. I thought it was interesting, the article that you sent me about the like different treatment of uh, the Black members. And a great example that he was quoted on was that he was written up for uh, fist bumping his 
like fellow black members. So that was really weird to hear about that you can get written up for something like that. And I think they were just kind of like looking, it seems from what he said that they kind of treated them differently and were looking for little things like that to write him up. So that was really tragic to hear and read about. Absolutely. Definitely a lack of balance and just a, a, a lack of respect throughout history that we need to sort of acknowledge. And with the Honor of Silence event, I think we, we got a good platform to, to discuss that and to bring some light to that. So that's great. Three generations worth of service members, all with the same stories. I think it's about time we cough up that narrative and uh, work towards a more loving, more inclusive, more accepting narrative. So great highlight there. Sam, sorry, I'm going to sort of redirect the attention back to you. I know we've kind of been avoiding No, that's you. fine. No, and, and were you talking about the service members? I was flipping through the channels the other day and the Tuskegee Airmen was on, which is a movie from the mid-90s uh, with quite a few actors you would know in it. And then that made me think of Red Tails, which was the more recent, pretty much the same story that Tuskegee Airmen and, you know, their history and what they had to go through back in the service in the 40s. That's unbelievable to us now. You know, even though it's way better, it still doesn't mean we need to sit on our laurels and do nothing about it. We still need to move forward. Absolutely. And kind of topping off with that there, um, there was, I think it was Officer Scott had a, a quote that he said that in the bush was safer than when he returned home and there was riots and lynching culture littered in his neighborhood, which should really show you that going to war should not be safer than to living in your house and, and being a member of your society. Especially when you give up so much for that society that just makes it even more so tragic. Absolutely. Absolutely. So check out that interview and tell us what you think. Any feedback is awesome. Um, so Sam, you are local to Indiana. What do you do out in Indiana? So I am a local musician in the Indianapolis area. Uh, I've been doing it for 30 years. Uh, started in college with playing with a rock band, touring all over the Midwest, Indy, Chicago, uh, Columbus, Louisville, all that. And then um, when the band kind of wrapped up when we were in our like late 20s, I started doing like solo acoustic stuff. So I'm just playing solo acoustic guitar and singing and various restaurants and pubs. Last night I was in Noblesville. Tonight on the 20th, I'm at Westside Pub in Shelbyville. On the 26th, I'm downtown at the Bottle Works at the movie theater. There's a lounge there that I'm singing there. And then 27th, I'm downtown at the Tap uh, on Mass Avenue in Indy. So it's it's nice getting out and doing it again because when COVID stuff first started, there was a period of about four months where I don't think I played one show because pretty much everything that could have live music, even in the counties where the restrictions were lighter, they still didn't want to take the chance. And I completely understand. But all of a sudden you took, you know, hundreds or thousands of, you know, Indiana Midwestern musicians and they have nothing coming in. And so it was, it was a little bit of a financial struggle, but, you know, things are up and going again. And I think it's kind of swung the other way because now I'm getting way more requests than I had before because everybody has been in the house for so long. They're like, we have to get out. So a lot of more people are hiring live music, which is great for me and great for all the musicians. That's so awesome to hear. Um, if you were to give advice for a new musician up and coming in your area, do you have any like favorite places that you started playing at before you got your groove or any connections or advice that you would give to someone looking to try to get into this scene? 
because uh -huh. um, I know the musician scene is very like competitive and and it's pretty strenuous. So yeah, do you have any advice for them? Yeah, I would say if you're doing kind of what I'm doing, which just, you know, playing acoustic guitar and singing that kind of act, um, there's a lot of clubs now. Everything has changed over the past like five or 10 years. And a lot of clubs anymore don't book their own schedules. They will go through a booking agent. So this one specific booking agent will book this list of clubs. So your best, your best bet is to one, be very well practiced, have a big set list before you even try to go out and get shows because you got one chance to make a first impression. So if that isn't good to start with, you're not gonna get booked again. So right. make sure you're well practiced. And then I'd look around and see if there's any local booking agents uh, interested and have a good demo, you know, video and audio and stuff worked up. Uh, that's your way to get your foot in the door. Because if you get in with one club on that guy's, on, on that booking agent's list of, of things, and they like you one place that can turn into 10 real quick. Uh, right. And that's kind of how I booked a lot of stuff on my own, but there's mm -hmm. been a couple local booking agents who once I got in with them, I just sit back and they give me phone calls and go here. I booked all these dates for you. Okay. <laughs> makes life a little simpler. Do you think it's easier to book as a band or in what you do? It's probably easier to do a solo thing. There's a lot more places doing the solo stuff as a band. There's plenty of places that'll book you if you want to make 50 bucks. Right. <laughs> you know, okay. it's, it's, it's a little harder, um, especially during the COVID thing, people like doing the solo thing like I was doing, usually smaller places. Uh, the places they were scared of that everybody still, you know, some of those places still have mask mandates and all that are the bigger rock clubs. What they didn't want is 700 people all dancing in a big, you know, mosh pit. <laughs> during COVID, probably not the best idea. You know, one guy in the corner of a restaurant with 50 people and tables, you know, that's a little different. So a little more manageable. Yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. And so you work with a lot of different people and musicians, I'm assuming. Is there any advice when you're working with people that maybe you haven't worked a lot with or like as a musician, how you insert yourself? Because usually there's some kind of chemistry when you have a band, but like if you're booked, you know. Yeah, if, if you're, you know, booked and, and, you know, you're working with other musicians, have a very open mind mm -hmm. and realize that every one of us is our own little weird, quirky self, especially in the arts and music and such. So if you know that going in, realize those other people might have completely different feel or opinions about, you know, the songs or the music you're doing, but it can be really cool. That's why it's fun sometimes because it's, stuff. Hey, I never heard that in that, in that song. That's a great idea. And we all steal ideas from each other. And that's how. Oh, so you're it. just like collectively learning and growing, which is great working and meeting new musicians. So Sam, you were telling us a little before the show that you work with um, the service projects in your area with the foster programs and things like that. Could you shine a little more light on what you do specifically with those departments? Uh, my wife and I have been married. It'll be 23 years is coming Sunday. So oh, wow. congratulations. Uh, thank you. So we had been foster parents on and off for a lot of like drug addicted newborns early on, because a lot of times those situations, the social services can't just take the, the baby and just place it with a brother or sister or grandma, even though they want them, it's, they have to run background checks on them too and make sure everything is safe in those homes before they hand them over. So a lot of times when, you know, an infant is born drug addicted, 
they need someplace to put that, that child for a few weeks. And we had 20 some of those, I think, over the years. And then we were different foster parents for, we had a set of twins uh, that were newborn until they were almost a year old. And then uh, they got placed with a, a great young couple uh, to give them their permanent home. They adopted them. Um, and then after that, we moved to the neighborhood we are now. And we had a sibling group of three that we took in as foster kids and we have now adopted them. So my wife and I have nine children now. <laughs> oh my goodness, a full house. <laughs> How long is the foster training system in order to be a foster parent? Like what goes into that? It is, um, there's a certain amount of hours of classes you have to do. They do a background check on you. They'll come out and inspect your home and say, hey, you know, well, how much room do you have? Because each child has to have their own bed and a dresser and a couple little restrictions like that. Um, but then the actual classes, I think there was 40 hours of classes to get licensed to become a foster parent, something like that. And it usually takes six or seven months or whatever. A lot of times you'll knock out like a whole Saturday and they do a whole, you know, I go to, I remember doing some of mine in Noblesville where it was a whole Saturday, got a whole bunch of credit hours all together. And then you only have to do eight or 10 hours a year after that to keep your license. It's something like that. And then they'll, they'll license you and say, Hey, you're licensed to take one child or two chi children or however, you know, your home situation is or that kind of thing. So I think initially we were licensed for one child and the <laughs> state called us with a foster placement and go, Hey, we have these sisters. And it was like, well, we're only licensed for one. They're like, yeah, 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 whatever. <laughs> so, um, so they gave us two and then, um, <laughs> and then they called us a little later and said, Hey, we found their little brother. And like, what do you mean found their little brother? Yeah, His brother was like hidden with another relative somewhere else. So that's, uh, he came to us and then that's the three that we have now that we adopted. So uh, I was going to ask if it's almost similar to fostering puppies or anything where you get attached <laughs> and you just can't let go. So it kind of seems like that sort of situation. That's the hardest thing I bet you hear the most common theme with foster parents or people going, I just couldn't do that. I just couldn't give them up. And we always had the attitude of what if we didn't take them in, where would these kids be? Who yeah, because it's in? not about you. It's about yeah. providing a safe home and environment for these kids, regardless of how long. Well, and who knows, we could be, you know, the best situation that they've ever had to that point. We could be a highlight of them, their memories for the rest of their life. So you know, give them a safe place to, to live and you know, food, clothes for some of these kids we had in. Yeah, they didn't ever have that. So I definitely think you can't go into something like, like that without an attitude that you're like that your wife and yourself had, because it really you really have to go in with the right attitude and mindset and education because yeah. it's such a sensitive uh, situation. Yeah. And my wife has been a social worker for, you know, her whole career. and. Yes, yeah, she's younger than me, though. So um, <laughs> by six months, uh, but <laughs> she worked for an agency for t the last 10 years and was director of this agency that placed foster kids in homes and kind of, you know, looked after the foster parents and kind of you know organized everything. And um, she is now just a, a school social worker. But when she was doing that, we were really into the foster care stuff and, you know, really kind of up to date on it. So, you know, now as a school social worker, she still deals with a lot of those kids that are in foster care that she's seeing at the school. So, you know, 
There's, there's a lot of need in our community and there's good people doing good things. That's wonderful. I was going to ask what brought you to that type of work. Um, but you're, you said your wife had background in that. Oh, that's incredible. She's got her master's in social work and she's been working in social work since, uh, you know, right out of grad school at age 23, she had five years total uh, for her undergrad and grad school. So she worked really hard and got that done. So that's truly incredible. It takes yeah. like an incredible strong mindset to be able to do something like that. And we thank her for what she gives to our society because it's such a, like, it's a really hard job. And so all the respect to your wife for being able to do that and just be a pillar in her community. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I, I'm, it, it floors me when you, you know, we see so much negative on the news. I mean, come on, we do. Um, I like when those kind of things are highlighted going, hey, you know, there is a need for foster parents. There is a need for, you know, caring for these kids, but at the same time, sometimes the stories that don't, you don't hear about, it's people doing great things behind the scene that never get talked about. And there's hundreds and hundreds of those people in our county doing that right now, which is great. Yeah. We need people like that. It seems from an outside perspective that Indiana is a very community-based environment, that there's a lot of working together and kind of overlap to make to make things run smoothly that's admirable to look at from an outside perspective to see that indiana indiana is actually working together to make a better place i think it, it transfers over from i grew up in a small town and so did my wife uh you know small rural farming community and i think there's a lot of that attitude that transfers into indianapolis into the city because a lot of people that live here were not from here they came here for jobs and whatever and so that kind of small town mentality of look out for each other and all that, I think this has a better sense of that than I've gotten when I've been to other places, other cities. I really think it does. That's fantastic. Um, so we're going to sort of start to transition to world news a little bit. But Sam, I just want to shout out what, when your next show is going to be and where. So uh, the 20th, which is tonight, I don't know if this is a good broadcast for oh. that. <laughs> uh, I'm at the Westside Pub in Shelbyville, Indiana. The 26th, I'm at the Living Room Lounge uh, downtown in India at 6.30. That is the uh, lounge inside the movie theater at the Bottle Works downtown. And then the 27th, I'm at the Tap on Mass Avenue downtown in Indy um, at 8 o'clock. So that's where you can catch me. You can also look me up on Facebook. Go to Sam King Music, and you'll probably see a picture of my shiny head on there. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Indy, you heard it first, so make sure we check out Sam King. Thank you, Sam, for coming on and uh, telling us a little, about, a little bit about your career and about yourself. Um, it's been inspirational to hear your story. Thank you very much. You folks have a great day. Absolutely. Okay, so now transferring into world news a little bit. Um, Kristen, I know you had something about the either the Biden administration or something was going on in politics, if you want to. Okay, so uh, Biden's $1.75 trillion plan went through House, so it'll be interesting to see how that goes through uh, Senate and beyond. And outside of that, yesterday, the president for a routine colonoscopy and physical transferred powers to the VP. So it was the, actually the first um, woman who had presidential powers, even though it was a very short um, and he did his physical at Walter Reed National Military uh, Medical Center, and his results were published. I'm a medical assistant, and um, I really love that kind of stuff, so that was really juicy and fun to read. Uh, he was deemed healthy, 
and they plan on moving forward, always publishing annually his physicals. Um, so the American people, because he is the oldest president to old office. I actually think he's turning 79 today. Is that oh. correct? Right? I'm not um, sure. Happy birthday. Is he, yeah. is he a Scorpio? <laughs> Interesting. Oh, no, not a Scorpio <laughs> running the country. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so he's he's the oldest president to date. So it makes sense that there are some concerns. And um, I appreciate the White House's um, openness. Uh, the summary is, is quite long and detailed. So we appreciate that. There was victory over um, a death row case, Kim Kardashian West, who is an active, you know, fighting for criminal justice. She got Julius Jones off death row with the help of a lot of people. And I think what I loved the most about it is that she reached out to people from the left and the right. And this quote, I think, because there's such a dichotomy and polarization in the world today. So I really loved this quote where she said, it's so nice for people to understand that this isn't about politics. Sometimes it's just about the people. To see everyone from the right to the left come together is a beautiful thing. And I think a lot of times because of the polarization, we can't come together and um, create these situations and these solutions because there's so much polarization. So I think that was really nice to hear that she was able to have both types of people on all sides of the line helping and assisting in this endeavor. She evacuated 130 people, including the Afghan women soccer players and their families out yesterday. So that was really inspiring to hear because the Taliban does not allow women to do sports and they were actually in a really sticky situation. But um, Kim Kardashian West was able to fly them out to safety. It was really interesting to hear that playing sports is even seen as a political act of defiance against the Taliban. Many, many female athletes have left Afghanistan since the group returned to power. Um, So that was really, I mean, obviously heartbreaking, but also nice to hear that there was a little win. Yeah, steps in the right direction. Absolutely. Wow, that's something interesting with the sports there. Uh, You can't even be active in a conglomeration without sticking the finger to terrorist communities. That's sort of interesting. Well, we'll move on to a little bit of a lighter note. Um, There is a film coming out about the Grateful Dead. Martin Scorsese is directing, and Jonah Hill was just casted to play Jerry Garcia. Jonah Hill and Martin Scorsese have not worked together since 2013 on The Wolf of Wall Street, of which Jonah Hill almost did not get cast. So um, I'm glad he sort of pushed his way into that movie because now we've got a lot more opportunities for Jonah Hill happening and a movie about the Grateful Dead. It almost seems like overdue, um, but I'm glad that they saved it until they have uh, a sort of outstanding director to, to blow up the story and make it a big deal. So looking forward to that. I mean, outside of Jonah Hill's just amazing talent as an actor and a comedian, I think one of the things I respect the most about him is that he'll refuse to answer superficial or vain questions about his weight loss, weight gain, um, and he'll always redirect it to the work or the art, because I think it's such a toxic thing in our society where uh, the main topic is how someone looks or what size they are. And I love that Jonah Hill is like a great person in his community that is like, I'm, I'm not wasting my time. Like I have self-respect. Like I, 
just focus on the art and the work that I made. And I just think that he's a great inspiration to a lot of people and just a part of a great movement where we are not focusing on these superficial vain things, because if you focus too much energy on that stuff, then you will miss the important things in life. So I really, really respect that about him. It'll tear you down. Absolutely. Okay, so we're we're going to be wrapping up our show here in a little bit. So we're going to be talking on little last topics here. Um, I just want to bring some awareness and um, offer a rest in peace to Young Dolph, uh, a legend to his city, an underground Memphis artist. He was murdered on November 17th. So just spread and love to Young Dolph and may you rest in peace. Thank you for your contribution to art. In addition, pomegranates are now in season. So head to your local grocer and pick up a pomegranate. They're packed with vitamins and I promise you it'll be the most fun you ever had with $1.39. So um, it'd be messy see. though. So, you know, <laughs> True. don't wear a shirt. You love it. Right. <laughs> well, thank you again, Sam, for coming onto our show. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, I've always wanted to become a foster mom later in life. So it was really cool to hear about your experience. And I really appreciate all your advice and stories. And, you know, another thing with those foster parent things, it's you always have the right to say no. Like if they bring you a child and say, hey, we have a four year old. Can you take them? You can say no if the situation's not good. So right. uh, that's a lot of people are scared of like, you know, oh, what am I going to get? No, you have the right to. Yeah, to there's no overcommitment because. No, yeah, not at all. So that that allows you to help out when you can uh, the way you see fit. And there's probably going to be somebody that you can help. So, yeah, that's fantastic. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Indiana, for listening. Make sure you check out our podcast. You can watch, listen. Um, and subscribe at Spotify, Google Pods, CircleCityNews.org, and YouTube. And you can also let us know what you think or if there are any topics in your area that you'd like us to cover. If you go to our website, there is a comment button that you can um, let us know. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you all again. Thanks so much. <laughs>